Welcome to CII Podcasts. Welcome to this India at 75 Fireside Chat series. I have a dream with none other than Sunil Kant Munjal, the past president of CII and chairman of Hero Enterprise. And I think, uh, you know, I couldn't have thought of someone better than Sunil uh, to really not only take us through what India has achieved in its 75 years of independence, uh, but more so what we can use this as a building block for, for the next 25 years. Uh, Sunil is someone, of course, uh, I think who has not only covered uh, the history of India since independence, but someone who is deeply interested in the history of what India has been over thousands of years. And I think our conversation today will also tap a little bit into how we leverage that past of ours and create a future that we can all be really proud of. Sunil, of course, person who needs no introduction, but I will do the needful. Uh, he's a second generation member of a family that resonates with India uh, and you know, in what India wants to be to the world, the, the hero to the world, uh, the hero group. And I think uh, it's India's premier automotive group, as we know, it, the world's largest bicycle main manufacturer, going to the largest two-wheeler maker and continuing to be a very, very strong brand, not only in India, but globally. Uh, Sunil is the chairman of the Hero Enterprises uh, now and his interests are in insurance distribution, steel making, real estate, corporate training and a very active investment office. Uh, you've seen his face many, many places when it comes to new age startups, uh, especially, you know, mature businesses now that are growing. And, you know, as we always talk of India's future will be in probably new areas of business where we'll probably become the largest in the world and areas like, you know, financial services, consumer facing businesses, which have been a large part of his portfolio, but also structured debt, public market investments, private equity investments and others. Uh, Sunil has always been one intellectual person. I've always enjoyed historically chatting with you, Sunil, on so many aspects, given that you're on the board of the IIM, Ahmedabad, the India School of Business, you know, so many uh, leading schools of commerce, not only the Sriram School of Commerce, but also uh, many, many other areas like University of Tokyo. You had geopolitical background uh, with your role with the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, where you're a trustee. And so many areas that I can keep going on. Uh, many people have your background, but most importantly, uh, you know, at least to this conversation, you have been a past president of CII and the All India Management Association. And, you know, CII has taken this upon itself that how industry can actually bring together multiple stakeholders, create a convening platform to envision an inclusive developed India of the future and really define what an India of the future could look like. And you have played such a key role, you know, in shaping that and making that happen. So with those words, Sunil, I'm going to uh, kickstart our conversation. You know, as I said, please feel free to, to share your dreams, your aspirations, uh, the way it really comes across uh, in your mind. And I know you have a very imaginative mind. And maybe taking that forward, uh, we'll structure this conversation a little differently. And if I were to like plant you, right now into 2047, right? And say, here we are celebrating India at 100. Uh, we are 15th August, 2047, and you're standing there. What do you see around you? So first, thank you very much, Rajan. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and through you uh, to many others, both CIA members and, and others. Uh, I think this exercise, which was triggered by 
Professor Prahlad, C.K. Prahlad, uh, many years ago, I think is a very valuable piece of work that CI has done. And you have been one of the key drivers of this, Rajan. So big thank you uh, to you for driving this uh, big initiative. And if I think back in the year I was president CII, 2004-05, is also when the World Economic Forum and CII ran uh, an exercise to imagine what India would be like 25, in 2025, I think. Uh, that was an interesting exercise. And they, they created three scenarios, as you know. So let me take a minute before I switch to, to being in, in uh, India in 2047. Uh, since your theme is, uh, I have a dream. So uh, for a while now, I have had a dream uh, for India. In India where there is no hunger, in India where there is no poverty, in India where males and females work in equal measure across all aspects of society, trade, business, civil society, uh, in India where the disparity that we see at this moment is actually gone in India which truly plays its role on the global stage in geopolitics in giving out the Indian ethos and philosophy coming from ancient times which when India was considered the world leader that we are back to that place. I have a dream uh, of an India where our education system truly becomes a leading education system giving all Indians an opportunity to be the best versions of themselves. And I think that's what truly education ought to do, uh, not be driven only by academics, but with a much broader sense uh, of education, which includes adventure, it includes uh, sports, includes our ability to absorb what goes on around us in society. Uh, it's therefore important for us to look at things like arts and culture as an inherent part of our education system. So uh, I know this is not my dream alone. There are many, many others who, who talk of India playing a key role in the world. Uh, I do hope that uh, by the time we get to 100 years that we are in that position. And I'm glad you're asking me to imagine myself uh, standing on 15th of August uh, 2047. I would hope that all our universities have a department of Imagineering then. That they make us not just look at engineering, but our imagination for what can be done, for true possibilities. That there is effective altruism available in the nation. That the country looks at things like Moore's law having been turned upside down because while we will continue to shorten the period, there will be a point in time when singularity will be hit and it's not too far in the distant future. So if I'm in 2047, I would imagine we are beyond singularity and machines today are able to do many jobs that we as humans considered normal for uh, hundreds of years. My ability to come today for this event to uh, where I'm sitting right now was driven by uh, a device which brought me here on just my thinking this is where I want to be. And our ability 
to transport and logistics has been driven from a 14% cost of logistics in Indian trade and business to 5% because we started using rapid waterways. It is only an idea 25 years ago. Today, we are using them rapidly. We've also gone beyond the drones being used just for moving things to significantly enhanced usage to reach across the nation, to every part of the nation as now has access to facilities which were otherwise considered only available in the best urban parts of India. Our increased reach through the airports, through heliports, through drone ports, which has been developed over the last 25 years, has truly transformed India's reach and the people's ability to do things which were otherwise considered hard, in fact, if not completely impossible. The, the Indian family system also has undergone a change. From shrinking to nuclear families, we saw distributed families uh, across the world. Indian families today operate as families while in different geographies, but celebrate together because technology system and our presence allows us to. So we are today in a unique place. We are not yet where we want to be in terms of net zero carbon, etc. But, and that's a promise they, our Prime Minister had made, we will be in 2070. But the pace at which we are moving, it looks like we will be many years ahead, maybe 10, maybe even more than 10 years ahead in our schedules. I'm going to stop here, otherwise I can, I can carry on only on this if you like. No, no, this is such an exciting statement, you know, you made Department of Imagineering. I mean, it's so true, right? One can't create anything that one can't imagine. I mean, it all starts with the brain, the mind, you know, and, and I think we have barely tapped into the potential of that. Even like as we speak, we know we are using 7-8% of that capacity and there's tremendous right. innovation going to, to expand that. And you know, just since you mentioned Imagineering and it brought out this whole brain thing, when we talk of climate change and we talk of energy, I think the fastest and the smartest you know product on earth, which works on the least amount of energy, is probably our brain and our imagination. You know, we eat a little bit of food and just see what we can create, right? So I think a very very powerful thought there, Sunil, to kickstart this conversation. You know, but as we look at India, as we look at the future of India, you know, all the things that you described, right? Especially your dream, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, hunger-free, poverty-free India, right? Maybe we don't, we won't be able to wait till 2047 for that. You know, it's something that we need to move, you know, aggressively in the near future. So if you really look at what are those key enablers, right, that will make that change happen, particularly, you know, if you look at different stakeholders, maybe that's one way to to describe you know, the role of government, role of industry, role of society, or any other way that you think will enable this outcome uh, to be realized uh, sooner than later. Let me put out one idea here, and then we, will, we can expand uh, and run. I'm going to talk of just one idea first, uh, because we are working on growing our services. We are growing on work, improving our manufacturing, creating in, in the right environment around it through policy, to physical infrastructure, etc. There is one hidden gem in India. If you think back a little bit in history, since you mentioned my interest in, in uh, looking at civilizations, you know, uh, not too far back, uh, again, I'm talking from the civilizational point of view, India was considered the premier trading nation in the world. 
this is at the end of the mogul period this is a record, recorded history so i'm not talking any any uh, uh, any secret or mystery here uh, that when the british came in india had a uh, different numbers are showing between 23 to 25% world trade and almost a similar number of the world gdp but if you think about what is it we were trading by the way other than a little bit of spices a fair bit of spices the big thing was our artisanal skills our handicrafts produced from our artisanal skills so textiles woodwork ivory carvings so we were a real leader in using the artisanal skills and the products made by them to position india as a leading global nation in the world over a period of time the skill that lies mostly in the in the rural areas has lost touch with the markets which are in the urban areas and overseas so the products being produced there are products which we don't consider relevant in our lives today so if we can do two things if on the one hand we can increase and improve the capacity of the artisans with more modern practices less polluting practices safer practices etc and give them capability of design of what the consumer wants today and connect them to the markets you can actually create economic opportunities for 150 million individuals by the way this is more than you can imagine for any four five or even 10 industries put together so which is why i said i will start with only one idea first i can go to to many others so if you can imagine that what does it do it creates a rural economy which is a lot more dynamic than it than it is today and this depends it also reduces the dependence on agriculture which in a sense i have to say sadly is causing more poverty than creating uh, uh, success because the number of people dependent on agriculture and the contribution of agriculture in in our economy contribution is shrinking the number dependent is very high 54% of india's uh, population is directly or indirectly dependent on agriculture so if we can move them from agriculture put them on other uh, artisanal uh, products crafts which are contemporary which you and i will buy and use in our homes in our offices in our urban uh, infrastructure you can actually create an amazing set of consumers you will create the largest growth market in consumers in the world that will be a bigger growth market in consumers than all of the us and all of europe put together it will be at a different price line it will demand different products and services but it will be there yeah no i think again a very powerful thought and very aligned you know surreal to the thinking of you know india at 75 which was really the fortune resides at the bottom of the pyramid make them yeah. producers first empower them generate livelihoods and then they will become the largest consumers but in to your to your hand point right i mean today in the world when you go and you see something handmade it's actually a premium product right i think it's just a narrative or you know maybe the ecosystem within which we you know we work more of that in our ngo sector etc if we were able to make it mainstream i think it it really will trigger you so know we have, we have taken on we have taken on an initiative to actually try and do this by the way the serendipity arts foundation which runs our, our multidisciplinary arts festival has done somewhere between 50 to 100 projects across different parts of india to see the possibilities and what we found was actually amazing what you can do with just a little bit of input is transformative for the product and for the artisan's family itself so they can turn this into a full fledged profession 
where they and their families can depend on it and it can also dampen a little bit of the massive migration that is taking place from the rural to the urban areas and putting pressure on urban infrastructure which is not quite equipped for the current population that we already have so it can have multiple uh, uh, knock on effects which are which are positive and and i will if we have time talk about what we are trying to do in the new institution that we are building in delhi which will do this on a permanent basis here for all art forms no i think i think that's that's a very very important initiative that you talked about because it is also a little different from what is the generic thinking of large other industry groups you know so i think it's a it's a good area for us to kind of deepen a little bit conversation and focus on because it is also i think you know aligning with this new reality where we see this young generation we see a decentralized world we see blockchain individuals getting more empowered you know and in a world like that where we have creators we have artists we have a rich history how do we really use this to create you know a position of global leadership so i think it's a it's a great area for us to also you know think and and work forward and in a way it also links to uh, you know another topic that i know is very uh, important to you and you're passionate about is the word innovation you know it's really at the end of the day a culture of innovation you know for us to move into our amrit kal and you know head to for the next 25 years and i think this could be one of course aspect of where you know innovation at a at a macro level for a country like ours can can yield results but you know going deeper into that right how how important you know do you think innovation is and what can we do to accelerate that you know especially given that we've got the opportunity to do so in india so uh first thank you for for saying this because i do believe I, the reason i did not go on the typical normal industry services because a lot of work is being done and that will take care of itself and i'm hoping uh we will move a little bit faster in some of the areas in which we are slow and we will be able to remove the hurdles that we can clearly see in some of the others but this is an untapped area and you're absolutely right the only way to do this would be using the most contemporary tools of innovation and technology together along with the skills that already reside so using the local skills and the local population we can do a complete transformation innovation across the globe has been seen to be one feature and factor which has allowed nation states to progress or not depending on how much innovation they are able to do one of the things which has been well known for india has been our jugaad system that we make do but we are seeing more and more that this is getting better organized becoming more productive becoming more efficient and focused also on public service i think this combination of individuals being able to benefit corporates even though very small i tiny companies i'm calling them corporates because they will be corporate structures being able to benefit but at the same time massive growth and increase in jobs in outputs in in prosperity of families and thereby consumption it is a virtuous cycle that we need to create if you think about it in in 90 early 90s when the reform started we used to talk of the trickle down effect i'm talking of a trickle down effect and a direct injection both happening uh, at the same time and coexisting which can have a massive uh, uh, forward looking benefit to society at large this will also connect artisanal skills with the global markets i'm not just talking of making something for the next village but being able to sell the product 
in Delhi and Mumbai and Bangalore as much in Tokyo, Paris and, and, and New York at the same time. So the product capabilities, acceptable quality and design and their, their linkage with what is considered social practices should be at the best levels in the globe. And that's why innovation and technology is required to be infused in this initiative and effort. No, you know, I, I think one more, one area which I think is, you know, not uh, very much talked about as much as we would like to talk. And I know you mentioned it in your dream for India, you know, it's really the role of women, you know, in, and their participation in the workforce. I mean, I think India is one of the few countries where the participation of women in the workforce is actually declining, you know, despite, you know, uh, our levels of education, etc. going up. You know, empowering them maybe at a at a tier two, tier three rural level is another way to look at it. But also, we truly increase you know that participation because these all of them get aligned you know in some shape and form. And it might be good to capture some thoughts from you you know on that as well. Yeah, oh. absolutely. So uh, I've said this publicly many times, so I'm only repeating myself. Uh, it is a little bit of a shame that the much smarter half of our population, which by the way is the women, is not currently uh, in the productive mainstream. And again, not for a minute am I suggesting that what they do at home, those who stay at home or are homemakers, do not have a valuable role because that is amazing what it does for building society and homes and, and families. But there are millions and millions of them who have the capability, the wherewithal, all they need to be given is the opportunity and the facilitating environment to become part of the economic mainstream of the nation. We've seen this world over. We've seen it in India. We've had banking leaders, we've had political leaders, we've had manufacturing leaders, we've had scientific scientists who are women all across the board in all professions. We have seen women are amazingly productive. And once they are focused, they can be fantastic assets. And I think that is essential for us to not just have to mandate on our boards and our companies, but to accept as something that is good for all of us. It's not just good for that individual, it's good for the organization, it's good for society, and it's certainly good for the nation. That is what India needs to drive this energy going forward if it has to be a leading nation in the world, which it must be. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's such an important part of the you know future of India and you know even our honorable prime minister talks of Nati Shakti and Yuva Shakti right these are the two engines of, of growth and, and you are of course very passionate about you know you invest in entrepreneurs you you look at the future of of India through the lens of a, of a young Indian you know how, how do you see that complementary aspect you know also uh, panning out along with the Nati Shakti I'm going to repeat one uh, 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 comment for, for the previous question and then I'll come back to the young. Uh, I've often said women are not just the much smarter half, they're smart enough to let the men now and then feel that they're smarter. <laughs> and we need to recognize that by the way. And I think it, it, is, it is amazing what they can do, what that energy combined with what we are already doing can actually supplement. Coming back to the young, uh, you're absolutely right. I do believe our future is in very good hands. I am a great optimist uh, about India. I am excited about our future because we are doing some things which are phenomenal anywhere in the world. And right through history, you know, if you go back far 
back in history, we were the leading nation in science and technology and navigation and logistics and all of the rest. But today we had fallen behind over the last few hundred years. But I am so excited about what the young people are, are demonstrating. And you're right, because of what we do, I come across lots and lots of them. Sometimes their ideas are so amazing. It excites you, it sometimes also scares you that is this even possible? Can this happen? But having seen some of them, uh, often many of them succeed. Uh, sadly, not all of them succeed in, in these ventures, but which is the very nature of uh, startups. And this is one of the societal changes as a nation that we need to bring in is accept failure as a part of learning. Because in our society, we've had one big challenge that failure was always looked down upon. I'm glad that we introduce laws like bankruptcy, etc., to bring back assets into productive use. The most critical and important asset is the one you talked about, is the human mind and brain. So if the human mind and brain can be kept in good shape and good form and good spirit, you have the opportunity to create a unique neural network of ideas, of people, of energies, which can truly catapult India forward into a nation which becomes a desirable and a place where other people will want to come in and work. Other people will want to come and learn. Other people want to come in and get engaged. And, and these young people are demonstrating this capability, not just in startups, they're demonstrating this across the board. Some of the practices you see in agriculture, some of the new practices you see in arts and culture, some of the practices you see in diplomacy, by the, some of the younger people are, are absolutely wonderful. And by that, I'm so very encouraged. I see some of them coming from parts of India, which a few years ago, we would never have imagined possible. Coming from small villages in Bihar and Odisha and UP and, and Punjab and Haryana, but with ideas that are real. With, and they're able to demonstrate this through practice through actually putting this uh, in practice on the ground. And as I said, the wonderful thing is those who fail don't just give up. They get up, dust themselves and come back again and sometimes again and again. And that is what for me is, is the most wonderful, endearing and enduring feature of India today. Yes. And the young are our real hope. No, and I think it aligns really well to your, also again to your little aspiration of you know, having people to be the best version of themselves and, you know, accepting failure as a part of learning, as you rightly put it, you know, at a time when uh, learning is itself being redefined, right? Education is being redefined because you're talking of lifelong learning today, you know, not a, a career for a lifetime, it's a lifetime of careers, new age skills, so many changes happening, you know, and you're at the helm of so many, you know, leading educational initiatives and somewhere we also talk of India becoming a Vishwa Guru. <laughs> to the world by 2047. So some thoughts around that, Sunil, you know, when it comes to our education system, our, you know, our learning philosophies, are they changing on the ground? Is there something we should be able to accelerate in the short term that will enable us to build these capacities correctly, you know, over the next 25 years? I'm glad you actually raised this. Uh, to my mind, the only sustainable way of making a positive change in any society is through education. And education comes in many forms. Uh, the best reform, and to my mind, if implemented, the biggest single reform 
India would have made since 1947 is the new education policy that we announced recently. The national education policy recognizes that education is not academics alone, that you have to accept things like adventure, sports, debating, learning, you know, swimming and badminton as a part of education. And I think it allows you to, to, to appeal to both the left and the right brain together. And that's what we have to do. That's the kind of leaders we have to build who will be able to tackle any problem uh, with ease and, and tackle multiple uh, fields at one time. Because too much of our education became a unilateral focus. And I think this new education policy is the first step. I do hope the implementation of this is done well and done evenly across the nation. But I think that will be absolutely critical uh, for India to get the best possible uh, deal for itself. The, the, the compact that we have, so let me take it in two parts. The current compact of industry with society has to change. Because for too long now, the model that we followed, the market model that we followed, allowed the whole world to, to improve. But the top grew so much higher than the bottom half. It created a massive disparity while still leaving millions in abject poverty, especially in countries like ours. So the compact has to be to be a much more holistic approach to growth, to profit, to profitability is how do I impact the communities around me positively has to be one. And I think our education system must not only teach things like history and, and uh, theology and, and technology, it must also teach empathy. It must also teach uh, uh, attitude. It must also teach uh, uh, communication skills because all of these are important for an India going forward because India wants to be understood by the entire world. If we are to be a global player, you have to understand others and equally others have to understand you. And I'm hoping the reason I wore this is because I'm, I'm hoping that in 1947, this dress will be much more accepted around the globe as formal dress and our greeting will be a much more common greeting that we will see around the globe. And I think it's, it's important for us to understand our young too must look at this as their strength and not otherwise. Therefore, it is essential that our education uh, encompasses all of these in the way it approaches the learning process itself. No, I think it's... it's I'm it's, sorry, I'm giving you much broader and longer answers than you're asking. You I do so, believe it's important. Hmm. And it's so beautifully put because while we are taking Indianness to the world, you know, and really getting the world to understand the depth of India and like what you said, whether it's the outfit, the way of greeting and pandemic showed, right? Namaste was probably the best way to greet people. And you had leaders of country after country saying this is the right greeting. And I heard it myself from the leaders in the UK and France and a few other countries. You know, but at the same time, it is also important for us and others in India to understand and appreciate how the rest of the world operates. Right? Absolutely. Like the outfit that I'm wearing maybe today may not be and I normally wear the Indian one but today I chose to wear a jacket. Yeah. I don't know maybe it triggers a conversation here. Because I'm, I'm going to add one more thing to this since we talked of artisan skill and crafts. This is come from Kashmir. So there's no reason why we should only wear uh, you know French uh, uh, silk uh, uh, pieces here and why not uh, the Indian artisanal skills. No, and it is bringing the worlds together, right? India, if we really want to be 
you know like many have defined in this journey a super partner to the world for example mm-hmm. you got to be able to take everybody along right and it's important therefore those sensibilities also get built in india and and i think you know one other short term area you know which i think where opportunity for india is massive right the world is talking china plus one and you know how does india's you know manufacturing sector for example we got pli schemes we got a lot happening and we cannot not talk about manufacturing with you sunil having you know you having created such large scale in manufacturing driving this price performance affordability you know uh, for the world kind of uh, you know phrase you know out of india frugal innovation i think all of that is a big opportunity for india we often say 2047 you know the world should be talking of an india plus one strategy literally make so much progress there but in the short term if i look at next say 3 years 5 years you know how do we get a larger part of the manufacturing share of the world gdp how what what can we do i while we have you know discussed so many other aspects it's also a place where a lot of our youth will become you know more employable and also integrated you know into global supply chains yeah so so there are three or four uh, aspects to this as you know one is a regulatory framework which should become uh, one that encourages uh, people to start enterprises makes it easy to run enterprises and god forbid it needs to shut down to have a smooth process for shutdown as well that's on the regulatory side the second is on capabilities and understanding of the needs of the consumer the customer and the user of the product that is manufactured a at this moment we are in a transitory phase at one point you know we were in need of shortages uh, all the way till the 1980s 90 uh, uh, early uh, 1990s where anything you manufactured would sell because there was a shortage then came the time when consumers had a choice whether it is in buying a motorcycle or buying a car or buying a refrigerator or tv and we suddenly have a plethora of, of choices now i think it's the feature plus age which became uh, a unique requirement so what is called mass customization okay? you do mass production but within that you are also able to customize at the same time so technologies which are coming in the new generation of manufacturing uh, whether it's it's printed products 3d printed products or is distributed manufacturing that allows us a quantum leap forward from where we are so we must fully embrace these technologies we must not only embrace them we actually need to start becoming a leader in them and the third bit is building almost like a neural network across the globe to ensuring that you don't try and put build walls as you say we want to be self sufficient but don't put a wall around ourselves as we have done in the 50s and the 60s you need to connect with the rest of the world you need to be a part of the value chain of the globe and since you talked of the very short term that is the single most important thing for india is to become part of the global value chain i can talk about what should happen 20 or 50 years out but those are all separate conversations uh, the first thing is to, to position ourselves is since you spoke of china plus uh, i think we have a unique opportunity we had two earlier which we did not get full advantage of countries like indonesia malaysia thailand even bangladesh took a bigger advantage than we did i think we are much more aware today as a nation both the government the departments of the government and industry are pitching in together to go and do customized pitches to companies to come in and to ensure that we are not just doing 
low cost manufacturing we are not just low priced products but we are a valuable part of this value chain and please note what i'm saying it's essential so therefore our manufacturing processes themselves has to go through a metamorphosis to be to be a step ahead of where they are today it is absolutely doable it is going to be a tough transition but that's what success is about is doing the tough making the tough choices and then making them work no and i think you know it's a very opportune time right in the world and you know geopolitically also the world is looking at india and you yeah. see today india has got a very strong position in the time of uncertainty conflict you know every time you you read or you hear about india's position in the world you know i think we have an opportunity here yeah. and you know i think there is a need for this to if you do the right thing and you're right today we have the lowest gdp in the g20 since we are currently uh, this year leading the g20 we have the lowest gdp amongst all these nations i'm hoping in the next 25 years itself we will catapult this forward we will not be the, the largest or the highest gdp in 25 years but we can be well on on our on our way uh, as soon as we are quickly able to eradicate poverty because that is essential that's the essential first step that we have to do while we launch more satellites while we build our our capabilities on global tech at the same time the bottom end has got to be taken care of so it's this twin engine that india needs to work at which will allow us to do this magic yeah, you know and, and i think the bottom end also agriculture like you rightly said is 54% of our you know our productivity of our you know for production and the gdp how do you see that shaping up because that's going to be critical you know in this in this journey so in some ways that's the easiest thing to do and other ways it's the most difficult thing to do because agriculture for the right reasons has been treated like a, a holy cow so we have not made much change to the regulations around agriculture for a long long time and it is overdue uh, the government tried uh, uh, last year and the year before last and unsuccessfully uh, it created a confusion rather than understanding of what where agriculture needs to do go in india we have clear examples in front of us you know we at one time we had done a comparison between israel and india and crops that are common between our two countries we found at the lowest end i forget the exact number now they were four to five times higher than us on the top end they were like 800 times higher productivity than us in some of the some of the produce now just imagine how much would you actually need to invest to be able to get there and just imagine the benefit that would flow through the entire system so the agriculture must not be looked at the only the current practice of agriculture but we again have to look at agriculture plus plus post harvest must dramatically change the the storage the the um, the logistics the the processing of of agri produce and in an in a much healthier organic sustainable way and we we have the know how today uh, we are doing flood irrigation today uh, in in so many of our crops i don't know what justification there is for a state like punjab growing non basmati rice we have the fastest drop of the water table in the country today and this was a leading state in the country there is no reason it cannot go back so there is work to be done and it's on all three fronts it's on the uh, the material itself it's on management practices it's on the regulatory side all three need to be worked at because agriculture can be as big an engine for growth for the nation as manufacturing or services are 
Yeah, no, I think, and that's why I brought that up. You know, as a very complementary aspect. You know, we've talked services, we've talked agriculture, we've talked yes. manufacturing. Again, use of technology has to be part of this. We have to accept that the new technology, as we as we call it today, are are part of our lives. We have to start accepting them today as a self-evident truth. It's not something which is should be seen as as an awkward thing, not something which is scary because. For obvious reasons, it's anything new is, is is a bit scary. People are apprehensive, but if we run away from it, technology will keep moving. And again, I've used the term often that this is like a road roller. It's riding out there. You are either the road or you're sitting on the road roller. So you have only two options. There's no third option available. Everyone, all stakeholders have to realize that, right? I think sometimes, you know, policymakers, etc. And, and given that the today's technological advancements are going to shape society tremendously. You know, we see Japan talking about society 5.0, totally driven by technology and AI. And what does that mean in ethics? You know, when a machine is giving instructions to man, and it's so important that we really look at this beautiful future. You know, uh, which is built on on some chaos. Rajan, the generation which is going to grow, which is going to live over 100 years, is already born now. Yeah. So, things like genetic engineering, genomics, uh, DNA mapping, DNA correction, uh, CRISPR technologies. By the way, all these technologies are available today already. They're, they're all available. Uh, they are, some are in labs, some are uh, in, in advanced trials, uh, some are ready. Uh, there is, of course, a debate of ethics and morality going on around them. And it's an important debate to have. Uh, but I just want to go back for one, one minute to uh, agriculture. I think it is important to make the key player in this entire uh, equation the farmer. The farmer has to be involved, engaged and exposed in what the new systems and process are and what they can do. She or he must see the possibilities of the benefit that could flow to them, the challenges they would face and how to tackle those challenges to move ahead because our agriculture, like every other pr pr product or service, has to be globally competitive. Despite in recent times nations pulling back, globalization is a force you cannot run away from. We will be exposed to the entire world and therefore we will have to be uh, at least as efficient as others, if not more efficient, and figure out within this way uh, a system of cross support for those who cannot be how do we carry them forward? How do we create a safety net in the system? As India has begun in the last 15 or 20 years, there are different safety nets. I think it's important to create efficient safety nets for society, for those who do not have access, for those with extreme disparity. And I don't mean only by, by, uh, uh, by your name or uh, by your caste. I mean by opportunities. And I think that's where the magic lies again for India. I'm using the word magic again and again. But I think we are at an amazing tipping point to for a fantastic transformation. No, you have created magic, so you you know the true meaning of magic, <laughs> and and I think that's really you know the essence, right? Being able to manifest what you think is is truly magic. You know, imagineering, you know, the word that you talked about, and I think you know on one side we have this massive demography of you know young people who can imagine the future and actually create it as well. On the other side, we will be probably also having 200 million elderly to take care of, like what you said, what's the society that we can create over the next 25 years? 
when we have that generation also we want to you know see evolve so it is definitely complex but you know i think one thing is very clear sunil and we can kind of run out of our 45 minutes is that you know we are positioned you know so differently uh, in in history today i mean i don't think in the history of mankind as a democratic country of 1.4 billion people you know made this massive transformation of from being an underdeveloped to a developed country really defining development in the process right for the new let world me a, let me yeah. take a minute rajan before you wind up and you can cut short this thing to make it 45 minutes if you like but i think there are two things which which uh, i need to say before we, we we wrap this up one is the reason i mentioned empathy uh, is an essential component of our education is all of us who are fortunate and lucky to have had the kind of opportunities education and families and friends that we have have a responsibility to reach out to others so philanthropy should also be taught philanthropy should also be encouraged whether it's through tax breaks or or uh, other regulations uh, as it is done in many other countries so there are some parts left behind some of it will will improve through the process and technology as we were discussing earlier some will not therefore philanthropy is an essential component in every indian individual and family who has the wherewithal themselves we have to reach out to those less fortunate than us if india itself as a nation is to grow all of india has to grow and you raise a very critical point we keep talking of indians a demographic dividend and a young india first to develop to to get full advantage of the demographic dividend we have to train education skill all these young people and create opportunities for them and then everybody does not have to do a post graduation but the second part we will also be the oldest country in the world not just the youngest country in the world while we have this year become the largest country in the world in terms of number of people we have to be sympathetic and empathetic to the fact that there are many many there are more elderly people in india than there are in any country on the planet therefore we have to equip ourselves for them to live a happy comfortable safe uh, uh, life which is enjoyable which is productive and which gives them some satisfaction and they in turn should also become productive parts of of society we cannot only imagine somebody who is retired as being out of our system they are not they are living longer healthier they are living 20 30 sometimes even 40 years after retirement so that's one big change that we have to make is to address the needs of the elderly overall as society even in our designs of uh, of products and services they are currently not designed for the elderly so we do need to make this change for all of india to benefit for india to be where india needs to be yeah no luckily we have the young people you know who are hungry to go and form you know form companies to solve challenges and problems and here's the challenge you have posed you know which is also a huge opportunity you know so why a wonderful opportunity today yeah, while we look at young people and you know, also we are building new age businesses to engage you know gen z's and gen alphas in in new age areas these are the opportunities and societal challenges you know that they can also solve along the way so no i mean it's been such an exciting discussion sunil and i know we can keep going on and we'll take on a lot of these conversations but i'm going to keep coming back to you to see how some of these things you know we can help realize together in this journey you know as cii also embarks on this journey from india at 75 now to india at 100 and see Absolutely. how we can take you know everybody along so thank you thanks for your time today and thanks for such a stimulating and enriching conversation thanks thank you for having me here thank you very much and good luck thanks thank you for listening to cii podcasts 